Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I really just want to give creators a stage for, for their skill, whatever it is, because I want my skill to be publishing. That's, that's my stage. That's where I want to be experimental. And I don't, I don't, have the need to be poking and prodding in, in the actual content. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. everyone welcome to the draw your dice podcast my name is jeremy gage as you heard in the intro but as always the show is never about me it is about who i brought to you today and today we have two guests amazing i know we are talking with some of the contributors of the tiny library project from Longtail games also in contributions the designer behind Longtail games is also part of cardboard monsters i would like to welcome to the show Ash Hans Child and Giles Yay! Pichard. <laughs> Hello. Woo! The crowd goes wild. Hello to the both of you. Uh, thank Welcome you for, to the show. Uh, thank you for having uh, us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much for the invite. Absolutely. Um, as always, on the top of the show, in case people don't know who you are, would you just give a brief introduction of who you are, any links, or how to touch base with you, get in contact with you on the internet, just so, you know, in case no one makes the end of this vi- this podcast, I would love for you to make dollars or get people curious, and I'd like to start with, with Giles here. Sure. My name's Giles Pritchard. I'm also known as Caradoc or Caradoc P on Twitter. You can find me on my website, caradocgames.com, and I make a variety of indie zines and other games, as well as in the past I've freelanced and, and done a little bit of freelance work in the RPG industry, but yeah, nowadays I just focus on doing my own thing. 
Excellent. Yes, uh, and my Ash. name is Ash. I am the the owner and the everything really of Long Tail Games, which is an experimental tabletop games publisher. Prior to this, uh, Long Tail has been running for. I don't know, six months or so at this point. Prior to that, I was working in Germany for a board game publisher. And yeah, like you said previously, I also run Cardboard Monster, which is the kind of more e-commerce-y sort of side of, of what I do. And this is importing and selling games in Australia. Amazing. I, I love it. Additionally, Ash, would you also, and then Giles, you'll be the follow-up for this version. Uh would you also give sort of like a lineage of like your history with RPGs? Like what was maybe the first game you played and what was the first game that sort of got you to start designing? I always love to hear about those journeys. I'll, I'll let, I'll let Giles take that. Oh, oh, I was just both of you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll let, I'll let Giles, Giles go first just because I'm having some like connection problems. So I, I'll, hopefully it'll pass in a minute. Uh, not a er- problem. All right, so my first experience of role-playing games, I remember really quite vividly. I bought a Lord of the Rings-themed role-playing game from a bookstore, and I bought it because it looked cool and it had Middle-earth written on it, and I took it home. I was in high school. I don't know what year I was in, and I just remember lying on the floor of my uh, bedroom and reading through the first couple of pages of this, and there's a there was a, a an example of play at the start of these these guys these people in this game going through and exploring a broken down old you know ruined tower and encountering an orc you know I obviously was a big fan of Lord of the Rings back in the day and so this game really woke my curiosity and uh, I loved it played it a lot that was Middle Earth the role playing game. And then played quite a bit of the Star Wars, uh, the West End games, Star Wars rules, as well as a bunch of other games like Earth Dawn and Shadowrun all the way through high school and then started making my own games while I was in high school and, and just haven't really stopped. I, I love it. I just, and some say he's still designing to this day. Amazing. Ash, also, if you're able to, lineage of RP. Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to think. I my, my first exposure actually was I would have been pretty young, like I think like nine or something like that. And my very, very cool older brother had brought home, it was, I'm pretty sure it was second edition. It was second edition, um, and it was like a splat book for like elves, like here are elves and hear what elves do. And um, that for a long time, like that book was kind of like what I was using to kind of play second edition. That, that's all that I had. And I was playing with uh, with my friend Martin down the street. So there is, and, and pretty much immediately, I guess because we only had like a source book and nothing else, we were just making stuff up. Like we would, we were just like obviously butchering uh, everything in that system and immediately kind of pivoting to like making our own, our own junk. And that kind of continued through school. And then after that, I pivoted really hard into board games. And it's only in the last 12 months, 12 to 18 months that I've actually, I've gotten back into, into role playing games and uh, yeah it's i'm really enjoying it that's amazing i love i love that they're still playing to this day there was a very similar experience where my godfather had i believe at the time it was the fourth edition maybe third edition one of the two editions players handbooks of D. and me and my brothers found it when we were like 13 or 12 or something around that age had 
it had no rules and it. it was just a character class mm-hmm. book and it's like how does this work i'm seeing difficulty checks but like do we roll dice here how do we get into <laughs> this thing so needless to say at a young age we didn't quite get into it but i've always well, had a I, fondness for figuring it out i remember at that age that that uh, the graph graph paper was vitally important like like mm-hmm. the whole somehow graphing the the thing became like the the kind of central activity charting out the you know the secret doors and things like this that that, that it pretty much was dungeons and dragons for me <laughs> yeah yeah um well thank you for that both of you so what we're here to talk about today is this tiny libraries project and sort of like long tail games overall so ash would you just sort of give a pitch for both you know what long tails games experimental publishing is like and then sort of talk about tiny library and then we'll ask giles for what his contribution has been so far to that project sure so long tail games if you're i guess either a publishing or like a marketing geek the long tail refers to the kind of all right all right we've got time here so i'm I'm just going to dive into dive Um, in (laughs) bite the meat my dude so it's 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 kind of like a like a like a buzzwordy thing but if you imagine back in the olden days before the internet if you if you looked at let's say books like books that were available for sale you know you've got like the bible and harry potter and and you've got like big hits which sell a lot of copies and if you were to sort of chart them they'd be kind of like a like a fat sort of trunk in the middle of of this chart where you have a small number of titles and each title has a large number of purchases or of or of readers you know users and let's say you have a book that has a small audience if you're a bookstore if you're a physical bookstore remember this is back in the olden days uh, when you're on, you're on main street and you're trying to figure out how many of which books to stock you're going to have a limit uh, eventually there's going to be titles which have such a small audience that you might not make a sale or for some reason it's just not worth it to have to have this to have this book more obscure things now that that all ostensibly changes with the internet where the long tail becomes viable and these are titles which have small audiences, small sales, but can collectively be a big deal because now as long as you can connect with that one person in like Belgium who wants your book, you, you're going to find that person. And so while it might not be feasible for every store to have your book, the book is actually kind of viable now because you can connect with just those people. So Longtail Games is about trying to give give space to those titles that uh, can only exist on, on that on that sort of long tail games that aren't necessarily supposed to become uh, fantasy flight blockbusters, but uh, but still have still have that kind of place now that we've changed the way that publishing works. There's loads of reasons why and how that publishing shift has happened, but yeah, that's that's the background of the name Long Tail Games. The, the reason I started it is because I I want to have a a game publishing company, and I saw that a lot of the spaces have been taken in 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 the industry in role-playing games and in and in board games which i'm a, a little bit more familiar with you you need to have some kind of angle and that angle could be having lots and lots of money or it could be having you know great great pedigree as a publisher or in my case it could be doing things that don't otherwise make sense to to more traditional publishers fascinating so just to make sure that that i'm on the same page here you're kind of tapping into 
the niche market that more general publishers ignore because it may not be as lucrative for them or they don't view it as lucrative for them. Not that it couldn't be because I think every piece of content out there is valuable. You just have to find the right bit out there. All right, everyone. But yeah, is that about, is that about the nitty gritty? Just so I understand (laughs) what, what the experimental publishing model is. Yeah. So basically as far as the experimental publishing model, the, the, the model is just to experiment. So what I want is with, with every project that I do, I, I, I want to be able to at least tell myself a story about what the experiment is. Like, what is it that's different? And it doesn't have to be um, in the publishing model as such. It could be in the content. It could be in the audience. It could be in the, in the game design itself. But I just want every project to have some element of it that is truly an experiment, that is truly sort of pushing some kind of envelope and and it needs to include an element of oh my god this could go horribly wrong I, like I, th- I think you need that otherwise you're not <laughs> you're not really experimenting you're you're iterating which is a little different so how does tiny library fit into that whole puzzle there <laughs> so t- tiny library is kind of an extreme end of this this idea of the long tail because taken on an individual game level this the single card is is completely like really unviable as as a, a title and, and, and as like a, a product it can exist on itch and, and we'll definitely like dive into that but the the idea with tiny library is that by to some extent curating but really just combining a large enough number of these titles they will hopefully be like more than the sum of their parts um, i love that because yeah. we're uh, in my circles, we're getting really into like the thoughts of co-op publishing or like co-op creation where it's sort of like trade for work, but everyone gets revenue share on a project rather than just hiring one or two individual freelancers for like a larger project, like hiring, I don't know, an art director for the next D&D book or something like that to give to give a mainstream example. Whereas instead it'd be like, everyone would contribute a class or like some people would contribute the adventure. Some people would contribute the layout and all, and everyone touching on that project will receive sort of an equal pay on the long term of that. So I think that tiny library is a very cool version of this that I myself am currently trying to figure out how to explore as well. Just sort of get Giles in here. So you've been contributing to the project. Why don't you talk about your contribution a little bit to Tiny Library? Uh, yeah, so it started really with the business card jam on itch and the Tiny Library jam on itch and looking at designing something that would fit onto a business card. I was between projects at the time and and plus it sounded like just a really cool uh, idea to try and squeeze as much into a small space as possible. I've previously done a sort of, you know, one page or a couple of page RPGs and trifold brochure style RPGs as well as some, you know, slightly larger saddle stitch zines for ZineQuest and whatnot. So the idea of creating a game that would cover two sides of a card was something that I thought was a really fun challenge. And so that was that was really you know why I I signed up to that and wanted to wanted to get involved you know I I liked you know my the, the game that I created is called Ladybug 
and it gives a very sort of brief world description in a couple of sentences. It's about ladybugs defending the queen's lands from their ancient enemies, the aphids, and then you pick a sort of a descriptor for your character and then on the back side of the card there are some other details that you add for your character, some stats that you flesh out and then some basic rules on how the game works. You know, it's a, you roll six-sided dice, there's an exploding dice system, you succeed or fail in a, in a combat test against something else and take a hit or don't take a hit, or in any test you succeed or fail based on a, on a simple roll. So really, really basic mechanics. And I just, I really love the idea of doing something that was so constrained by space that you had to be very, very... Uh, selective with the with the language that you used and the words that you used and the graphic design that you used and it allowed me to explore a sort of a, a graphic design approach that was very different to anything I'd previously done so you know I've got my, my larger zines like Corsairs and Rascals you know 32 36 page books which are more traditionally laid out whereas this obviously all had to fit onto one card and I had previously toyed with the idea of doing a single-page RPG about ladybugs that had been captured in a kid's insect. You know, those little toys that you have as a, as a child where you put insects in them and then over the course of like a week you watch them die. Do you know those those toys that we give our kids? Oh, God. <laughs> what, what a lesson tool that is. Yeah. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> anyway, so I had this idea of, you know, of creating a game about a bunch of insects that had been taken, you know, taken captive by a child and their job was to escape and get back to their homes, you know, a long time ago and, and had never really worked it up into a game and, and how that might work. And so, you know, like most designers, we all have these many, many multitude of ideas bubbling away in the back of our heads. And when the this idea of creating a business card or or a, a bridge card game came about, you know, I cast around for ideas and I settled on this idea of, of going back to this concept of, of insects. And that was where the idea of Ladybug came from. And then with the graphic design side of things, I'd really liked some of the stuff that I'd seen to do with however it's pronounced. And so I really went and tried to emulate the sort of very, you know, messy, but messy, but very packed in design style of more of, of Mjorkbjörg, just, you know, fitting as much in there and putting, you know, different different sizes in the fonts and different font styles and angles to the, the lines and things like that. And just had a lot of fun with laying the card out in that regard, as well as doing some of the art that is on the card as well. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun creating Ladybug. I really enjoyed the constraints set by, you know, the, 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 the parameters just in the physical side of things and then what that meant for what you can do in terms of the mechanical design the narrative design all of those sort of stuff you know every single word that goes on the page has got to count has got to do double triple duty to try and get the theme across try and get the game across and I really really enjoyed that so it was a pleasure to um, be a contributor and yeah really looking forward to seeing how the tiny library comes together there are so many fantastic games by great designers and, and really interesting uses of that design space as a as a single card. It's just it's fantastic. 
Yeah, Ash, Giles is one of how many contributors for Tiny Library? So I've been saying 50. It is it is very, very close to 50. It's slightly fewer because we have 50 individual designs and a small number of people contributed contributed two designs. So it's about 46, 47 Amazing. contributors. That's great. That's a lot of people who couldn't be on this podcast, but shout out to all of them <laughs> as well. That would be absolute chaos. We actually joked a little bit in the preamble of this recording to what would it be like to have a 50 person podcast recording? And I have some, my imagination is pretty strong. I like to think I know exactly what that would be like, <laughs> even though I haven't done it. I would, I would just be glad I'm not the <laughs> yeah, one editing it. I will admit that I did not consider that, but now I have, and I don't want to do it. Amazing. So where did the idea for a tiny library spark from, Ash? Like, why why do this project at all? So that, I mean, that is a, that's an incredibly valid question. I think that it's important to, when thinking about tiny library, I think it's important to look at the timeline. So I was just looking at this, the, 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 the process that I had was I ran a jam on, on itch, which I'm not sure how familiar your audience will be with, with itch. Is it something yeah, almost most of all of my guests have been on itch in some degree. Okay. All right, cool, cool. I don't want to like, uh, yeah. So, so, so yeah, I, I ran a jam on 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 itch to sort of solicit contributions, and that was at the start of June. So June fourth was when that when that started. And it's currently the end of August. So, and we're, we're we're literally days away from going to Kickstarter at this point. So the whole thing has been very very quick. I got the idea to create Tiny Library about one week before that jam was launched, maybe maybe less. So it was something that I kind of put together in in just a couple of days. And the idea was really just that I was seeing the there's this obviously really rich jam culture. On, on itch, which I think is a really cool thing for mostly RPGs to, to sort of take from the the video game kind of world is how it looks to me. And I, and I was seeing the the idea of the business card RPG, which has been around for a couple of years in these circles. And just thinking, just because I'm a publishing nerd, I was trying to think about what would it look like for what what, what kind of model would would make this make sense as as a product, this single card game that somebody had made like how can i actually get that physically to people and i kind of ran through some ideas and this just seemed like the most fun and the most sort of viable was to combine as many of them as possible so that was that was kind of it i i found the the jam culture on itch i found the business card sort of niche and i saw that it really didn't it it wasn't something that was connecting with the the rest of the sort of kickstarter centric publishing models that that RPGs and that that board games have have been using as well. Yeah, I think itch is more and more every day becoming more and more catalyst to something different happening in the tabletop space. A lot of a couple of my guests have talked about itch funding, finding like a crowdfunding alternative to Kickstarter, yeah. and we're I've recently talked with a, a guest about a new Kickstarter alternative called GameFound, which primarily does board games, but is now opening up to like. Mm-hmm. tabletop role-playing games as a uh, product offering 
And so I think it's really fascinating that you bring up one itch in general in being contingent to sort of tapping into the the, the experimental publishing, you know, doing the things that maybe more traditional publishers are not kicking on because I've also heard sort of publishers give other advice that like itch isn't where you're going to make money at all. And maybe in comparison to something like Kickstarter, that might be true. But I think any space of marketing that someone else is ignoring is sort of a golden opportunity to tap into, especially when, and I agree, Ash, it's, it's been a very vibrant culture over there for the tabletop industry. I mean, I don't, I probably follow maybe 60 people over the course of starting this podcast on itch. And there's so many great projects out there that people are creating. And each of those individuals that I know have like five to 10 games under their belt or more. So like it's powerful. It is powerful. And I think it's, it's sort of like being underestimated in a, in a big way. Yeah, I, I completely uh, agree with that. And, and it, it sidesteps a lot of the, for good or bad, the, the kind of the gatekeeping that happens when you scale up and, and people like me get involved, basically, when publishers get involved, when the scope of the project uh, gets large enough, it just, it becomes something that seems inaccessible. And itch is a great example of that long tail sort of effect where it, it almost doesn't matter what you're what you're making that there's going to be an audience there's going to be somebody who not only likes what you've made (laughs) but and that is not something that 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 kickstarter generally or let alone like more traditional publishing can do to to give pretty much every creator some kind of access to uh to their uh giles since you've been designing since the dawn of time what has been sort of your experience have you have you always been self-publishing? Have you used itch? Have you engaged with more traditional publishers? Have there been any... I guess my ultimate question is, since we're sort of talking about this... Oh, goodbye, Ashna. Since we're talking about this sort of new age publishing in terms of long tail games, hmm. have there been any particular challenges across your career time in publishing yourself or publishing with more traditional individuals yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting conundrum i mean you know i i started out in the you know game industry really going from board games like ash was describing his own journey you know i was, I was a big role player at the start of well I, I got into gaming through miniature war gaming and then went into role playing and then went into board gaming you know and i was involved on the periphery of of board gaming as a as a content creator in terms of, you know, did podcasts and, and other things like that. You know, I, I started out in the games industry really on that side of things, being involved in podcasting, blog writing, review writing and, and so on. In the on the miniatures war game side of things particularly. And then that led me into doing design work for a number of companies, including Spartan Games, and, and that then led to freelance work with Modifius. You know, I spent number of years doing freelance work for Modifius and, and other companies in the RPG space. So, you know, that that's definitely one path if you want to be a creator in the RPG space is, I guess, playing in other people's sandpits and, you know, often, not always, but often those games are for 
other intellectual properties. And so, you know, you're working with a publisher who is also working with an IP holder and, and that whole process is quite interesting. So... So, you know, freelance, you know, in the more traditional, I guess what you describe as more traditional RPG spaces is, you know, fantastic. And all my experiences with those companies were um, were wonderful. I had the chance to work with some wonderful people. But, you know, if you're wanting to create your own content, you know, it, we're talking about itch before to, to bring this back around. Really, for a long time, the big player in the space of I want to get my my stuff out there and I want to sell it was either creating your own sort of e-commerce website and, you know, then there's the whole issue of marketing and getting eyes on it and all of that sort of stuff. And there was drive-through RPG and and all of the websites connected with that, uh, the DMs Guild and, and so on. And that really was and, and is, you know, the big player in that space in terms of, you know, if I'm an indie creator and I want to get my games out there, then drive-through RPG and the, the DMs Guild, you know, are the places to really post a lot of my stuff or were. And then Itch sort of came along and Itch has grown and grown and, you know, there are a lot more indie game creators putting their stuff up on Itch and using it as a storefront to, to sell on their games. Itch, I think, has got a couple of really wonderful advantages. One of those, obviously, if we're talking you know, financials-wise, you know, drive-through RPG if you're exclusive with them takes a slightly less a slightly lower percentage but the percentage of sale is 30% that goes to drive through RPG if you're not exclusive so if you sell something for $10 then $3 of that goes to to drive through and you get the remainder. With itch, for a lot of countries that have a tax exemption with the US, you can reset that percentage to be much lower. So the standard on itch is 30% as well, but you can reset that to be a little bit lower. So you can take a bit of a, a larger slice of the pie if you... Uh, happen to be lucky enough to be from one of those countries. Now, it's still not ideal for a lot of places around the world uh, that don't have those tax agreements with the US. So there is, you know, there is that caveat with that as well, and that needs to be remembered. In terms of crowdfunding for projects and, and uh, you know, trying to get the, the, the you know, the, the money to put together a physical product, you know, places like Kickstarter are fantastic. Indiegogo has been around for, you know, ages, but Kickstarter, I think, really is central to the games industry. You know, so many board game publishers use Kickstarter. It is such a large part of or has become such a large part of the games industry and it brings with it so many eyes. And that, that I think, is really the thing. You know, you talked, Jeremy, earlier about GameFound is an up-and-coming new option for crowdfunding and you also mentioned the fact that there are a lot of people and Ash mentioned there are a lot of people that are doing itch funding as well over on itch.io. So those are all other options that exist outside of Kickstarter but in terms of market reach, I guess, Kickstarter brings with it a whole bunch of of eyeballs that those other platforms don't necessarily have and so there are definitely 
definite advantages in Kickstarter, as well as disadvantages, of course. But yeah, itch itch is a really interesting space, and and some of the things I really love about it, you guys have already talked about in terms of the community and the jams and all of that sort of stuff. Is it is a really vibrant part of you know the indie scene? I think. I think, and that last bit there is something really crucial to what I love about itch is the jam culture and the community potential behind it, right? Kickstarter sort of like allows you to farm emails for newsletters and repurposing. And that's, that's super great. I think that uh, if itch ever got something to, of that nature embedded into its systems, it would be, it would be chef's kiss and revenue sharing email gathering and revenue sharing. And then it'd be super bueno, but you know, community around Kickstarter can be so coin flippy in terms of like, you know, I've heard horror stories about super backers and things of that nature. I've people who expect more for less sort of situations. Whereas it just kind of like, you're just fostering a really great set of consumer base that like Ash has mentioned before, getting that niche of people who really love, what you're doing and just just kind of like i don't know lifting you up like i feel like kickstarter isn't really a space that like lifts people up like you see the dollars and there are people who are excited for your project but it's just like a place where people talk or like trade discords or like follow others on twitter like it feels so much more personable than sort of the more business oriented sense of of kickstarter so i think you hit some really good no no no, i completely agree with you i think kickstarter is a you know i've run two kickstarters and they're only small little things but you know it's given me a taste for uh, what those are like to some extent and it is a much more mercantile experience in terms Mm -hmm. of you know the 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 whole platform is built around that and the community around it is a totally different thing yeah i think you yeah you're spot on in in hitting those points so ash i'd like to ask you sort of you know a how long has long tail been in existence because that much i don't know and what is sort of like, as you do these experiments, what's like the ultimate goal for long tail games sort of in terms of like. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How do you how how does Longtail Games help creators? I guess is as opposed to like I don't know, external funeral or uh, no is it external funeral? Exalted. Oh, Thank you, exalted. I was like, where did that ex word come from? Exalted I, I, I funeral. Love, I love external funeral though. I think that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, the outer body funeral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, so are these more like uh, bigger, more traditional styled publishing companies? What what sort of pole or uh, niche are you trying to ultimately get to with Longtail Games? I mean, that's a really good question. So Longtail Games functionally has uh, only existed since the start of this year when a, f- a friend of mine here in, here in Brisbane was putting together a project for ZineQuest. And, I, and I'd been kind of, I'd spent six months before that gradually putting together some of the the online side of Longtail, but it was kind of dormant or mothballed because I was, I was just waiting for that opportunity. And this was one of them where he was going to bring this to Kickstarter as part of ZineQuest. It was a truly experimental kind of project and design. And he was looking. He was open to the to the idea of of working with somebody else as as the publisher, so that he would have the space to really be be working directly on the the design side of things. So that's that's how long Longtail has been around. And I'm I'm still in the in the process of we're still in the process of actually releasing that game because that is uh, a divorce of druids which was billed as a subscription. So it comes out every every three months with each passing season for, for 12 months. So we've released two of them. We're just about to release the third. And yeah, so Longtail's new. We're still technically releasing the first, the first project. I've got a couple of other ones just to give some kind of context or back. I'm doing a Brazen Crown, which I'm just going to just butcher the pronunciation, but it's a Morkborg card game. It's actually Touchwood. Uh, it's going to be the first non-RPG product that has the Morkborg theme. So that's coming out early next year. Where we're we're at the sort of um, late prototype stage there. And then I'm also working with another RPG designer to release Sunderworld, which the the hook there is that it is a legacy role-playing game. So the idea is there will be a single produced, polished kind of book. And kind of like with legacy games in the board game world, you're going to write directly into and scribble all over and, and destroy that book in the process of playing. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. That again will be early early next year. As far as like what I want Longtail to do or i guess to provide to creators my philosophy is very much that i want to be a publisher and my role as publisher is not to be like a kind of 
um, a frustrated game designer or illustrator or graphic designer or any, any fiction writer, any of these things. I, I want to get out of the way of the people who who are focusing on that stuff and and give each one of them, whether it's the graphic designer, the game designer, the illustrator, um, the editor, the writers, give them dominion over their patch of of the project that's kind of the underlying philosophy as far as the actual the publishing as well as being experimental i really just want to give creators a stage for for their skill whatever it is because i want my skill to be publishing that's that's my stage that's where i want to be experimental and i don't i don't have the need to be poking and prodding in, in the actual content so much and i think that uh, tiny library is sort of like the extreme example of that where I literally, I've done some resizing to get the ratio kind of correct for each of these cards because the format they were put in was kind of quite different for everybody. But otherwise, every creator can still change and update and modify their card in any way that they want, basically. And yeah, that's that's sort of the pitch to creators, I guess, is that I want Longtail to handle the publishing and the, the game creators to handle the game creating. Yeah, I think that, and I talk about this a lot on the show, and even for myself, is that there are so many people trying to be the game author in addition to all of the other things, marketer and publishing and project management and editing, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And recently, I've really thought about like tapping into being a project manager, a project lead for different for people, like for individuals creating games. And I think that's uh, basically that's to say that I find what you're doing is really important to identify that like this is the this is the stage or the step that I want to be good at. I can't, you know, not that I can't. I think there are people who are doing a great job at solo on a small level. But when you really start to scale up, you need to find people who are going to fill those technician roles, those manager roles, those entrepreneurial roles, and really flesh out so that not everyone is stressed out about what they're doing or like if they they feel like they're falling behind, it really allows them to focus on the work they're good at and feel good about it too. And I think that's a really, really cool thing for long tails to become, excuse me, long tail games to become. Yeah, and I think it's important to to see every one of those roles as having the potential, at least, to be like really creative and and interesting mm-hmm. in its own right. Like, uh, because I, I'm I'm kind of new to the, the the RPG space, but I it kind of blew my mind when I realized that that Mixum, who does a lot of a lot of printing in the zine mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the smaller. Um, smaller, smaller kind of projects. They have factories in the UK, the US, and Australia. Which, if you're putting your kind of project management, distribution, fulfillment hat on, is a really interesting thing. And it makes it makes distribution and fulfillment in different countries a really different kind of equation. Like you, you can you can manufacture with the same company in different places. You don't need different accounts. You don't need to worry about the different formats and all that sort of stuff. That is something that. You could see, like you know, choosing a printer as a as a really kind of like moot, like bureaucratic, boring sort of part of it. Or if if you if you dive into it enough and kind of put your you know your thinking cap on, you can find the ways that it can be creative and interesting and can kind of feed back into okay, if we're producing in this way, what does that mean for game design? What does that mean for the kinds of 
games that we can make. That's sort of what I'm what I'm really interested in. I think just to, to follow that, Ash. I think an interesting. Mm-hmm. It's really an important thing as well, given the current state of shipping. Mm-hmm. You know, the cost of shipping, the the issues with shipping, the delays in shipping. I. I had a ZenQuest project this year, Rascals, printed that in Mixum, with Mixum here in Australia and then posted out, posted it out internationally. And we had issues. We had uh, a period of time when post was halted to the US and I had a whole bunch of stuff returned to me. There was uncertainty as to whether it was all going to be returned or whether some of it was lost or whatever else. And it was a very messy period for about a month and a half of, of uncertainty about what was happening with Australia Post and and with the games and whether that all come back to me and whether I would be able to ship those to the US or not so it was it was an interesting process but it does you know and having printers in the US the UK and Australia is useful but it's also interesting in the sense that the paper weights and sizes and all of those things are different in the different places as well. So, you know, you're always worried if I'm going to get it printed as 115 GSM, you know, internal silk white pages in Australia, what does that mean in US terms and so on? And so there's a lot of those sort of those skills and that knowledge base that you need to have in order to to be able to make sure that the product goes out to the various places as a, as a consistent product internationally. That's definitely a, a big learning curve. I, it's so funny. <laughs> you said all of that about, and I feel like you just casted a spell on me in terms of like what the interior of that, hypothetical book is going to look like. Yeah, it is. I've heard a lot of people talk about sort of the state of shipping and that costs are astronomically high for especially I have a friend who is kind of redoing a board game design and all of the all of the shipping publishing pieces of it is just going to be so much higher than what they're used to in the in the last 5 years or so. And yeah, I think I think having these sort of like different printing facilities within the same publishing name is really fascinating in terms of navigating the the workarounds for that. But then there comes the knowledge base and the pricing differences between countries and what sort of their formatting is, which is also a very fascinating subject to get into. It's something I know literally zero about. Like I just learned about, you know, a sized a size and b size paper like in the last month and <laughs> before that it's only been letter and legal for jeremy <laughs> that's paper so i just want some paper <laughs> just, <laughs> just give me some paper <laughs> uh, yeah it it's just a whole nother animal i even look at right now i'm turned to my bookshelf and i'm like Man, I just don't get it. <laughs> I'm just looking at it. I don't understand why there's so many different sizes of that, but that in itself is design. One of the other one of the other things I think too, and, and it plays into this big question. If I got um, my product printed in the UK and the US and in Australia, and then shipped out from those locations, there are different tax implications for mm-hmm. that. I've got to pay VAT on things that I'm going, you know, dealing with in the UK. I've got to go and pay tax to the IRS if I'm dealing with with production and and selling from the US. And so, 
you're starting, you know, you're starting to talk about a whole range of calculations and, and skill sets and knowledge bases that, you know, your single, you know, me, for example, with the, with the games that I've produced, you know, that's just, it, that's beyond my capacity at the moment to, to understand all of that, to have the skill set to be able to do all of that successfully and legally and make sure that I'm not going to end up, you know, not paying tax and getting penalised for it or, or whatever it might happen to be. You know, that is a whole set of skills that I just don't have at this stage. So it just it makes a lot of sense for me to print in Australia and ship out from Australia, but then there are the shipping costs involved with that. So, you know, it, it th- there are a lot of opportunities and that, I guess, is where, you know, if you have a the difference between a self-publisher, which is what I've done with previous games, and with a publisher, which is what, you know, obviously, Ash, you know, you're talking about with long-tail games, you know, those two different things, I think, you know, very different skill sets. Yeah, and I think that, I mean... I do not yet have that skill set. Uh, so this this is still a process <laughs> for me as well of I'm sure there's going to be like astronomical hiccups um, along the way. I remember with with Divorce of Druids, I was like three grams above a postage bracket, which like tripled the cost of, of shipping just, just for that wave. And it, it was as simple as uh, me kind of misreading the website and then not thinking about, even though it was very, very thin, the, the packaging that I, that I was going to be adding to this. What, what I've found so far is really giving me a lot of confidence navigating that stuff because uh, it seems anyway like it's getting more complicated, like particularly <laughs> UK uk sellers into the eu and vice versa that has just become like just a nightmare like i know a lot of eu or or uk shops are just not selling to europe at the moment which is just kind of crazy god so what i've found is really giving me confidence is just finding partners on the ground to to do Mm -hmm. things as simple as can you pick this up from the dock please to to just like when i have a question about that or something you know to to help me through that sort of stuff because yeah like you can't do it on your own and especially not at the scale you know if if you're the sort of place that has like a, a dedicated like tax person you might be able mm-hmm. to handle this a little bit easier but at, but at this scale like i think that finding a partner on the ground is is kind of the only way to have any confidence that you that you can figure this out Giles, do you, as a designer, you you may have sort of already hinted at it, but do you find it easier when you are working with an individual with a different skill set, publisher, tax person, maybe like someone who's kind of keeping you accountable as a project lead? lead? Like, do you have any experience working in collaboration with people in, in like a team state? Not just as like a freelancer, like, hey, we'll talk to you in one month uh, for your project but like kind of a week to week sort of thing yeah freelancing is a totally different thing you know you get a brief or an outline or you work up an outline and then write to it and it's very straightforward usually you're dealing with a project manager and and you liaise with them you know when you need to usually after the piece is written and there are any edits that need to be done and so on but yeah collaborative project is a is a completely different beast done some work that is approaching a collaborative project but it's not something that I have a lot of experience with 
So some of the freelance work that I've had has been very sort of open and the the companies that I've worked for, the IP holders that the companies I've worked for are working within and myself obviously all form part of the process of working a thing up into a publishable thing. And that process has been very collaborative in the sense that everybody shares comments and and is happy to to take and give feedback and offer suggestions and, and so on. But that's not exactly what you're talking about. And I don't have a lot of experience with that sort of collaborative project making, no. Yeah, that's that's perfectly okay. We welcome all walks of life on this show. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Basically, you know, I think I think more and more about like I think there is not not from you, but just in general, I feel like there my intuitions seem to believe that there's some sort of like game design. It's like twofold. It's both not being able to pay for the person, but it's also like a pride thing of like you know, I don't want anyone to adjust the creative control I have on this game or on this content or on this product. And I think that's sort of a thing, or in my experience and in my intuitions and in my connections around different circles, I feel like that's such a thing of the past of like someone who's looking to control, unless they're like an IP holder, like you were mentioning. Excuse me sort of like Avatar The Last Airbender stuff with Magpie recently and everything like that as an example. But I feel like on a more co-op-y basis, I feel like there's such a way to tap into letting someone... uh, This just goes full way around to those specific roles of like, you know what, I'm not really good at managing my my own time on a game design project. I am I am a person who's good at organizing, but I've met people who are not good at organizing their time or like kind of fall behind on stuff. And I think it's so fascinating that like if you just had one person who was good at organization, scheduling and timekeeping and you had a good like communication rapport, I wonder how much more like you both would get done at the end of the day, right? Like if if you mm. were just letting someone take on the responsibility of organization say instead of saying like I I am not an organized person and I'm trying to work on it, but I can't find my way to get there. Why not just ask for help a little bit, right? I think I think that's something to really think about as we move forward into a kind of co-op experimental publishing project yeah. lead sort of environment that's that steps away from Wizards of the Coast or Paizo or more traditional board game companies or stepping away from not necessarily freelance, but sort of like the way freelance has been done the last 10 years. I think that's or maybe last 20 years. That's just, again, intuitions from circles. I don't have any hard data for that, but yeah. I think it's it is interesting. Like, you know, you, you talked earlier about being that person that doesn't want their baby meddled with, you know, as a, mm-hmm. as a creator. And certainly, you know, I think we've all been there, you know, anybody oh, yeah. who has, has created something has, has felt that, you know, but you can't, you cannot suggest that. <laughs> Why, that's the heart blood. Do you not understand? But I tell you, if you're going to do freelance in any way for any length of time, you have got to swallow that and get rid of it because, you know, I've worked on some projects where the decisions from the people you're working with make zero sense and you just got to go, you know what, it's your money. At the end of the day, I'll just nod and smile. 
Smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. <laughs> Smile and wave, boys. <laughs> so, Got it. But the, the, the other side of it, you know, I've worked with other, with other companies in freelancing. You know, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment, and I won't talk about what it is because it's under NDI at the moment. <laughs> I shouldn't even be talking about this. Um, <laughs> but the, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment, you know, I'm working with, with a company and they are working with an IP holder. And so there are three, I guess, organisations or three groups that are, that are involved. There's myself as a creator and an artist who is tied to what I'm doing. There's the company that employed myself and the artist and then there is the IP holder. And, it, you know, all of these things come down to relationships and relationships are so important and understanding how those relationships are going to work, what is okay and acceptable uh, and feeling comfortable within those relationships to be able to say, what you think and to be supported in that or, or corrected in that as you need to be or whatever else. The relationships are so important. You know, I, the, the project I'm working on at the moment, touch wood, you know, everybody has been very, very collaborative in their approach in the sense that everybody's happy to provide feedback and input and suggestions and happy to you know, have those suggestions, oh, yeah, but, you know, I can see what you're saying, but what about this? And that's not always the case. So, you know, it certainly runs the gamut, I think. Can we <laughs> can we just talk a little bit about, Ash, some of the, the games in the tiny library? Because yeah. it is it's, one thing for me that I really love the idea of is just having, you know, and some of these are things, tools that you can use in other games. Some of these are full games in their own right. Some of these are you know, other sort of experimental things. It's just, it's such an eclectic mix. And for me, aside from being a contributor, one of the most exciting things for me is to be able to sit there and, and to to go through the deck and to see so many different ideas manifest, so many different creative explorations of, of game design, of this space of creating a game that's going to sit on a card of you know all of that sort of stuff to me is is what's so exciting about it but yeah I just I, I'd love to give a shout out to some of the other games that are in there because I think it's a, such a such a cool little project yeah shout out some other contributors Ash I'd love to hear about maybe five or six other other cards we're going to get in the cool RPG deck Right. I'm looking at the list now and it, it's difficult to choose, like genuinely. So I, I guess the ones that really leapt out to me as as being just really fascinating to me are, well, there, there's a series of like hex grid maps which have been created, which I think that's actually the kind of RPG that I kind of gravitate towards the most is a little bit of that OSR. So there's, there's several of those, which which I think are really cool. And just even from like a graphic design point of view, they're, they're, they're each just really well done. So that's kind of a nice category. As far as specific games, um, there's one called High Name, I'm Dad, which th- yeah. this game it's, is it's probably... Logan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, like a lot of these, it's, it's probably more of an activity or like a bit that you might do at a party or something, but it's, it's probably the single game that got me interested in business card games more than anything else. I, I kind of won't really spoil it, but High Name, I'm Dad is, is, it's probably one of my favorites. There is, there's Tin Star Games has two 
Um, there's I Am Tilda, which is, again, more of a, <laughs> a bit or an activity, but it's just a card that says, I am not your friend. I am Tilda Swinton portraying your friend. And there's a couple of things you can do there, but the premise is that you are playing the role of Tilda Swinton playing yourself in this in this kind of situation. And then there is there's really heaps of them. Let me see what's the other one that kind of shows like another kind of category. I think Bonfire, Bonfire by Mark Cook is is really nice as well. And this is another type of games that are a little bit more structured in the fact that they're actually like kind of coherent like storytelling games that that you can play together, but they're just so beautifully made as far as the graphic design and the illustration and and the premise they have a real like kind of purity of what they're trying to do then they're not trying to sort of replicate um, a more traditional you know dm and 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 play character kind of kind of relationship so yeah those would be the ones for me and and i really i just like the ones that are just like they're just a single weird idea just cooked down to its essence and and there's something really beautiful about that God, I love it. I can't wait for all 47 cards to be released per the Kickstarter. 50, um, 50 cards. 47 50, 50, created. Yes, yes. Yeah. 47 <laughs> created, 50 to come. Cool, 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 cool. Six, 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 nice. Well, thank you two so much for being on the show. I know it's wicked late there, so thank you for coming all the way out here to the internet for me. As, as an outro, just once again, let people know where they can get in touch with you, get access to tiny library start with giles give an intro get money yeah i'm giles pritchard you can find me at caradoc p on twitter or at caradocgames.com and there are links there to my itch.io and drive through pages so check them out and ash Yes, my name is Ash. I am the owner of Longtail Games. You can check us out on Facebook, ostensibly, mostly on Twitter and also on Instagram at Longtail Games. And we are releasing a tiny library that is coming to Kickstarter on August 31st. It's going to run for two weeks. It's going to be short and sweet. So check it out if you like the idea of that. And if you like the idea of doing other stuff, uh, feel free to get in touch about distribution, publishing, anything you think I could help with. Tiny Library. Woo! 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 Shout out to all the contributors to Tiny Library as well. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today and listening along. I learned a ton, and I hope you did as well. And we will catch you next time. Say bye to the people, Giles and Ash. Bye-bye, people. Goodbye, people. Bye, people. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Giles, Ash, and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes, such as getting in touch with Giles or Ash or other episodes with similar topics. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please come and join the community Discord server. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Draw Your Dice Patreon, where you can get access to early releases of episodes from as soon as we interview. Thanks again for stopping by, and as always, I will catch you next time. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.